All right, is Facebook doing dirty tricks to target TikTok? Interesting. Are the right wing stalking reporters online? Of course, but we've got the deets on that as the kids would say. To help us talk about it, we're brought in Taylor Lorenz, who is an expert on this and is the technology reporter at the Washington Post, where she just busted a huge story wide open. So Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I wanted to mainly talk about the cyber stalking and bullying that the right wing does that a lot of people have no idea about that you exposed. But hold, because today you had a bombshell story about how Facebook is using a right wing PR group to target TikTok. So tell us about that first. Yeah, so Facebook started working with Targeted Victory, um, which is a right wing uh, sort of political consulting and comms firm. It's a really big one in DC. Um, and they basically, Meta's contracted them to essentially run um, a, a smear campaign against TikTok, um, basically trashing them in local op eds and newspapers, letters to the editor, and also by boosting um, sort of dubious TikTok trend stories in different markets. Um, around the country. So it's the kind of thing that you would expect from like a political campaign, but to see a tech company engage in that kind of behavior, I think it just shows where Facebook is at right now. So Taylor, that's super interesting on a couple of fronts. Do you think that they're doing it because TikTok's a competitor and they're worried about losing customers to them? Or do you think they're doing it to throw the heat off of them because Facebook has a lot of you know controversies, etc. And they'd rather pin it on TikTok. Absolutely, I think it's both. To be honest, um, number one, they want to destroy any competition. I mean, that's Mark Zuckerberg's way. Um, he didn't engage in this type of stuff with Snapchat, but you know, he famously tries to acquire competitors, and when he can't acquire them, he will quash them. Um, but then publicly, they like to. Posture TikTok as kind of this success, and oh well, you know we don't need to be regulated. No antitrust, you know, stuff for us because look at TikTok; it's such a big competitor of ours. And by the way, they have all these problems, right? So I think it's kind of it's he's trying to like have his cake and eat it too a little bit with this. Yeah, look on the antitrust issue, uh, I I'm actually a little bit mixed on that. I, I think TikTok is huge. And it does, they do make a good point about how well, how much of an antitrust issue do we have? And by the way, let me give my bias. Facebook is one of our biggest partners, okay? So let me be clear about that. But nonetheless, here we go. I think that smearing TikTok in the way that you guys described in the Washington Post piece is horrible for the entire industry. Because Taylor, and I'm curious what you think about this. My sense is that the mainstream media has done that in the past. To Facebook, so and and to YouTube from time to time. Sometimes there'll be out, uh, investigative pieces from CNN who barely have any investigative pieces, and where they go, okay, we went and tried to find a needle in a haystack, and we did. Look at these three or four outrageous needles we found on Facebook and YouTube. Oh my God, advertisers should not be part of this. Obviously, we called all of their advertisers because we were so concerned. So did they learn this trick from mainstream media in the first place? Um, first of all, I covered the adpocalypse. Um, I'm very familiar with that type of reporting. Um, I don't think that they, I don't think that Facebook learned it from the mainstream media. I think that everyone is taking this from political campaigns. I mean, this is just classic 
oppo research and kind of bashing your opponent and planting negative stories, right? This is this is very common in political races. Um, so I think I think that yeah, I think that that's what Facebook is borrowing from. In terms of the media coverage on YouTube and Facebook and all these platforms, I mean, I just also want to point to the media coverage of TikTok. I think there's this tendency with reporters to you know, in a lot of legacy reporters, maybe who don't spend a ton of time on these platforms, to just buy into these sort of cheap and easy stories and narratives. Like, oh, look, you know, YouTube's doing this or Facebook's doing this. It's like, oh, this is why we need more reporters to really spend time on these platforms, immersed in these communities, so that we can really understand. And look, if they're doing something wrong, let's report on it. But like you said, let's not just go hunting for a needle in a haystack and try and make a narrative out of it. Yeah, and, and I think that another super interesting part of that story was a lot of people probably don't know that PR companies do this, that they're paid to find op-ed writers and find concerned citizens who write letters to the editor. You probably think it's an actual concerned citizen, but some decent percentage of the time that's orchestrated by a PR company to push a certain ideology, right? Exactly. This is just another reason why reporters should not take pitches from PR people ever. Um, I think that you know a lot of times those kind of the people behind the scenes can be dubious. It's unclear who's backing things. Um, you know, I think in terms of these op-eds, like you said, a lot of consumers just read op-eds and they don't know these sort of dark arts of PR. So I think exposing these things and and, and kind of explaining the mechanisms of these campaigns helps educate people and hopefully give them a little bit more media literacy, right? Where they're like a little bit more skeptical. 100%, no, mainstream media consumers have no idea that half the stuff they're reading is sophisticated PR campaigns meant to influence them in a certain policy direction so that they can make more money off of them. Because the honestly, mainstream media never makes that clear, whether it's, you know, Generals that work for defense contractors that go all over cable news pushing for war and more war and more weapon systems, and the list goes on and on. But in this particular case, there's one part of it that one particular story that you talked about that I found to be particularly outrageous is about what was happening with the schools. There was the there's a licking thing, <laughs> licking weird stuff or whatever, and there was punching teachers and how that didn't actually exist on TikTok, but they said it. So tell us the real story. Yeah, so last fall there started, this is when I started looking into all of this stuff. So there started to be this explosion of local news coverage of these dangerous TikTok trends. Um, I spend hours and hours a day on TikTok and I cover the company and I was like, these are not TikTok trends. Like. They're just not. There's actually no evidence that these were ever a thing on TikTok. Where is this coming from? And when you know myself and and other reporters too really dug into it, a lot of the origins of these sort of alleged TikTok trends were actually Facebook posts in parent groups. Or you know, there's this guy Officer Gomez um, who is kind of I think a police person on Facebook um, and and local police pages that were saying, hey, this viral TikTok trend is out there. Parents, watch out. It was nonsense, it was always bogus, but it plays into parents' fears. It's a little bit like the Tide Pod challenge, right? No one was really like snorting Tide Pods or whatever, but once you put that idea in parents' brains and you feed it to local media that's primed for sort of outrage stories about spooky new platforms, it takes on a life of its own. And and that's what Facebook was seeking to amplify. 
Yeah, look, a lot of mainstream media reporters are old. And even if they're not old physically, they're old in their way of thinking. So you say YouTube to them, they're like, whoa, what is this newfangled thing? I bet people are eating laundry detergent 24 seven there and punching their teachers. But so we, we halfway know that, right? But the extra thing that you revealed here as well is that it's a thing that started on Facebook that didn't jump to TikTok, but the PR company that Facebook hired then blamed it on TikTok, even though it wasn't on TikTok. Exactly. That's a hell of a thing. <laughs> yeah, the twisted media world that we live in. But I think you have to have that sophistication. And also, frankly, it doesn't even matter how old you are. If you're a reporter, you need to do the actual reporting, right? If, if people are feeding you stuff saying this is a TikTok trend, you need to really be sure that that's a TikTok trend, right? Like pull the receipts, let's see the videos. Um, because you can't just you know say things like that. No, by the way, we've had pitch, we have pitch meetings every morning to, to figure out what we're gonna do on the show. And and sometimes we'll get those stories and because they're so viral, they'll be in the production meeting. And then Anna and I will ask, okay, where's the video on it? How many videos are there? Is it like hundreds of videos or two videos out of like millions that are on TikTok? Just basic, basic journalism, right? And you just don't get it in a lot of places. So that's why these PR tricks can work. Last couple of things on this. Targeted Victory says, no, you're wrong, Taylor. And they put out an angry series of tweets saying, why didn't you just call us? You know, We would have told you what the reality is. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I was dying because that, that thread was such a turn. First of all, we had an email exchange. We included their statement in the story, but the statement that he's like, we wanna issue the statement. That's in the story they gave us to that days ago. Um, the last email in our conversation I gave Zach Moffat, the CEO, my phone number and said, you're welcome to call me. He never called me. He decided to just go on Twitter and complain and spin up you know, controversy. That's fine. Ultimately, it's it's so weird because he's trying to cause drama, but then he's like, but we're actually proud of our work here. And Facebook too didn't dispute this campaign. They actually said, actually, we think you know we're giving TikTok much needed scrutiny. So they wanna kind of blame us, but then also be like, but, uh, but you know, we didn't do anything wrong anyway. So yeah, ever. and there's the last irony here is, this is a, a, a PR group that describes itself as center right. So they're a right wing right. outlet used they're in right wing political circles. So Taylor, the right wing complains nonstop about Facebook. But isn't the reality that they use tons and tons of Republican consultants and employees, et cetera, all over their management? Of course. I mean, Obviously, and also not only that, but Facebook amplifies right-wing news organizations and voices far more than anyone on the left. Like, look at the top ten. You know, before Facebook cut off access to CrowdTangle, you can see that like the top is like Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, right? Facebook is a, a is is basically like force feeding you right-wing content every single day. Um, you know, but of course, it's it's in the rights. Um, interest right to claim persecution and, and claim that they're they're being silenced but in fact they're being amplified more than than ever and they found that the company is very sympathetic um, to their cause so you know it's kind of interesting because Mark Zuckerberg goes to go destroy anything that's in his path uh, from a competitive standpoint and you could say hey listen free market that's his uh, right to do that etc but the right wing 100% unfairly criticizes Facebook 
when in reality, Facebook greatly helps the right wing, both in terms of content and then hiring right wing PR, right wing lobbyists. And there's an excellent case to be made. I, I know that an enormous percentage of Facebook's board is Republican. Um, and yet Zuckerberg doesn't go out to destroy them, doesn't even lay a finger on them. Somehow the one set of folks that are actually the most vicious to him, he does nothing to. Yeah, seems like an interesting irony. I know. And by the way, Facebook recognizes that they know, you know, that their relationship with Peter Thiel and and Mark Andreessen and all of these right wing people in tech, it, it you know, it's well documented, like you said, um, and they know that. But but they, you know, these narratives are are not spun out of accuracy. They're spun to kind of whip up controversy or anger among people that don't know any better. And so I think that's what they gain from those kind of persecution narratives. It's it's kind yeah. of sort of angering their base, right? And people that don't that don't have time to really look in and say, well, that doesn't actually make any sense, right? Yeah, people in media know that generally, most of them, some of them, consumers have no idea. Like yeah. when I tweeted about your story and said it's ironic that it's Facebook that's right wing, uh, gets hit by the right. Every commenter from the right wing is like, oh, get a load of this crazy guy. Everybody knows Facebook's the most liberal thing on earth, and then they discriminate against us. Poor right wing, we're the victims. None of them know it. The right wing propaganda works perfectly on them. Yeah. Okay, so now speaking of uh, the right wing zealots, uh, let's go to what we we're gonna talk about, <laughs> okay? So you also expose something that is a significant problem, Taylor, that, that almost no one else talks about. So if you're a reporter that does accurate reporting about uh, right wing, especially in the technology field and online communities and online stories, or you're progressive at all uh, that's online. Uh, I know from personal experience um, and almost every progressive that's online, uh, gets this, you are viciously attacked and cyber stalked online at a minimum um, for the rest of your life. Um, yet everybody takes it as like, oh yeah, that's normal. But it isn't normal, is it Taylor? No, it's not normal. It's incredibly disruptive and harmful. And I think it needs to be exposed and called out. I mean, this is the problem is that people in journalism just accept these, these, you know, this situation or this environment or they minimize it because legacy journalists don't have an understanding of the internet and what harm a really bad smear campaign on the internet can do. Meanwhile, consumers don't have any kind of media literacy. So they see these Fox News controversies and then they believe them. And then even worse, media company leaders buy into them as well. You know, they see enough Fox News articles about their own reporter and they're like, "Oh, why are you so controversial all of a sudden, right? Like what have you done?" Um when in reality, it's usually just doing their job or reporting critically on a lot of, you know, these forces behind the scenes. So, as you were listing the different tactics they use, uh, I was going through in my head, "Yep, I've gotten that, 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 that." So, I don't know <laughs> if if they do it to every single person in the same exact way, but I literally got the entire kitchen sink that you described. But for those who are not aware, because why would they be aware? If it's never happened to them, they have no idea that it happens, right? So what are some of those tactics that they use online? Yeah, it's about it's about reputational harm. So a lot of what these sort of extremist you know, political factions have realized is that the way to attack the mainstream media is to discredit the most prominent reporters at whatever publication, right? So that means 
say I'm at the New York Times, right? It's discrediting me and other what you know actually this venture capitalist biology it said in a couple of emails. Um, vulnerable reporters. So women, people of color, usually anybody that's outspoken about social causes, those are the people that they're gonna sort of fixate on and take down. And it's not mean tweets, okay? I cover YouTubers for a living. Um, I don't care whatsoever about mean tweets. <laughs> um, but it's it, 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 the sustained sort of campaign to discredit you and smear your credibility. So that means, you know, Tucker Carlson doing repeated segments. It means nonstop articles about you. It means reframing everything you do, right? I, for instance, went to go cover this 16-year-old um, TikTok star's birthday party. This is a red carpet event. There's, you know, representatives from UTA, WME, and everything. I'm there for my job writing about her. Um, and the right-wing media wrote this entire, you know, media cycle about how I'm a predator because I showed up to a 16-year-old's birthday, as if children, I guess, don't have adults at their birthday parties. Very weird. But um, you know, it's about driving those types of narratives, specifically narratives around child predator things or um, you know, Sort of, you know, the type of thing, it's these types of things that kind of stick with people viscerally. It's not, oh, Taylor's a bad reporter, we don't like her article. It's Taylor is raping children at the hype house, right? That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that they've written about. And yeah, you've got and, and Taylor, I saw the genesis of that. So, first of all, the original genesis of uh, liberals are, are killing children or harming children is uh, abortion. Uh, so that that's how they started in the first place. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, uh, cutting taxes on the rich. We're increasing taxes on you. We're ruining your lives economically. But they're killing children, right? Um, and and drinking the the blood of babies that QAnon and nut job right wing does, etc. That's blood libel from the old days uh, that they used to say about Jews uh, before they massacred them. So so the, some of this is a, is out is as old as time. But I remember the genesis of them doing it as a concerted effort publicly and admitting it. It was the alt-right, it was, I'm not gonna say the guy's name, I don't wanna give him further publicity. And he said, look, let's just call them child predators and pedophiles. It doesn't matter if it's true because it'll just show up at the top of their Google search. And when they, when you talk about vulnerable people, especially if they're less famous, It'll be at the very top of their Google search and it'll haunt them the rest of their lives. That way we'll intimidate the left into not speaking up. And and, and that was about, I, I, it was right around the time that they targeted Sam Cedar in a very similar way. Uh, so I, I'm gonna say about six years ago. And hasn't that playbook played out exactly as he described it? Absolutely, and it's more powerful and well-oiled than ever. I mean, the insane SEO um, manipulation, I actually did a thread on this on Twitter, but they do all of these things. I mean, this one guy wrote a script to um, message 180,000 people. All, every single person that followed me, a lot of people that followed the Washington Post with these allegations that I'm a child predator and I'm unethical, whatever. And he called me Taylor Lopez. A lot of people were like, wow, what an idiot, the troll misspelled your name. No. That means you Google me and then you see a flood of articles that says Taylor Lopez, formerly Taylor Lorenz, she's changed her name. She's a child sex predator named Taylor Lopez that changed her name to Taylor Lorenz to get a job at the Washington Post. It's it's just better because they know that Taylor Lorenz, I have a strong, you know, Google, like it's harder for them to kind of get to the top that way. So they do these workarounds. 
Um, I mean, so many different syndication scams and things like that. But this is this is a whole apparatus that's operating sort of right under the surface. It's not just mean tweets. Who cares about that? You know? Yeah. Uh, look, I, I might have gotten more negative comments about me online than any person in history. Uh, so I, am I used to that? Oh. I have rhino skin, I couldn't care less. In fact, most of the time I'm deeply amused by it. So, and and I'm not as vulnerable because there's so many attacks against me and so many articles that it's not as relevant as it is for a person that has never dealt with it. And imagine yeah. you're a private individual or or you're just in media, but but you've never been attacked like this. And Taylor isn't the number one. Not only does it discombobulate, and and it's it's psyops. It's against the target, but mm -hmm. but even more importantly, everyone around that target, whether it's their employer, it's their friends and family, get worried. Oh my God, is it true? And am I going if I defend them? Am I going to be accused? And then I'm going to have this toxic sludge all over me. Yeah, I mean, I've lost so many career opportunities. I got canceled from a big podcast that I was supposed to be on because they didn't want the controversy, right? I'm suddenly seen as controversial, despite never being that way before. You know, before these people decide to target me, um, and and you see this over and over again. And and that's why I've been so outspoken about calling out big legacy media companies because it's time for them to learn how the internet works. You know, I think actually YouTubers and content creators really understand these types of campaigns. They deal with like T accounts and other people kind of misrepresenting them. Media companies continue to buy into these bad faith attacks and punish their reporters. You know, like you said, I'm a little bit like you, Jenkins, in the sense that like I have people know who I am. I have an online following that I've been growing for over a decade. So it's harder to kind of take me down. Colleagues of mine at you know the New York Times, right, only had a couple thousand followers, or they're not, they they don't have these online personalities that will back them up. And so I just think it's really important to educate consumers about this stuff and hold media companies accountable when they don't have their own employees' backs. Well, not only that, I mean, look. I know you worked at the New York Times, but so the alt-right started a bunch of toxic attacks against me when I formed Justice Democrats, cuz they were worried that that was gonna work. Guess what, it did work. And and later when I ran for Congress, the New York Times just used them without doing any fact checking. They, yeah. they called me anti-Muslim when I'm Muslim. I mean, and they took like outrageous things, like a joke about bestiality. And the New York Times made it seem like it was in my platform. I mean, that's just that's all right to mainstream without any fact checking. Yes, and when we don't understand that, and when we have people in a newsroom that are not educated about the internet, and people don't aren't educated about the shapes of these campaigns, like you said, they're quoting absolute trolls, or they're quoting them as like, oh, well, these people just run like a film podcast or something. It's like, well, let's talk about who funds that podcast or who backs these people right like it's just it's this like sanitization of a lot of these figures and so i mean again this just goes back to basic internet literacy this is why we need to educate media people legacy media people about how the internet works but it's true like you're exposing it more than anyone else is and every time i read it i go oh thank god finally someone doing actual journalism so so it, along that line one last thing look as i look at their tactics, it's it's got psyops written all over it, right? 
so because it's the same patterns over and over again. So you, you'll see, they'll go to my account and they'll say, Jank, I used to be a fan, but you know, I'm not anymore. I'm so disappointed, right? Then you'll see, they'll go to David Sirota's account when during the fight with Jimmy Dore and the fake left and the weirdo alt right that's pretending to be left and all that stuff. They'll go to David Sirota's account and they'll be like, oh, David, I used to read your stuff all the time, but I don't anymore, right? They go to my Ryan Grimm's account, same exact thing, right? And then they go to the allies and go, "Oh, you're going to be interviewed by David Sirota? Ooh, did you know this and this about him? I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a classic smear campaign and we need to educate people about this because otherwise they get a message like that and they're like, what? Instead of being like, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is and I'm not gonna fall for it. 100%, I'll end on this. I interviewed Noam Chomsky recently, and and during the interview and after the interview, when we were talking, he said, "Look, he he said he was as optimistic as he's ever been, Taylor. You know why? He said because the younger generation is coming up, and when they do, they're very progressive, and they're just going to be the new people that are in those positions, and it'll make all the difference. And I think that you're an excellent example of that. So, uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it." Thanks for having me.